filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So this weekend, I went to New York City. It was for my mother's birthday, and we went and saw a Broadway show. And I know most people think, oh, Ben went and saw Hamilton. Well, Ben doesn't have Hamilton abilities because he lost the uh, various lotteries for Hamilton tickets. So He does uh, talk about himself in the third person, though. So that's really what we gained from this weekend. Exactly. Uh, we went and saw the show my mother wanted to see, which is Kinky Boots, which all the songs are written by Cindy Lauper. And the plot itself was fairly thin, fairly predictable. You could, you could see everything coming from a mile away, but the songs were so good that it didn't even matter how bad the plot was. The only thing I wanted was at the beginning of the second act when there was some talking. I was just like, no, 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 stop this talking, especially pansy main character let's just get back to the to the singing because that's much better than you having emotions that you haven't earned okay that's all jason what did you do this weekend i watched soccer good work hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason anderson and ben bromley uh, we're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, and lots more. Uh, tonight, we have a very DC United-heavy show. We are talking about DC United's comprehensive 2 nothing win over the New England Revolution this past weekend, and we're going to bring on a friend of the show, Matt Montgomery, from rslsoapbox.com to preview DCU's trip out to uh, the Wasatch front is that what it's called that, that's the correct front okay great uh that game will go down on friday night ten thirty p.m on uh is it udn i assume and unimas usually is yeah i think it's uh, unimas and yeah yeah so uh we'll have some dcu after dark on friday night uh so let's let's get going jason what are you drinking uh, it is summer now. The weather has finally started to act like summer, and in in Maryland, that means one thing and one thing only. It means dead rise. Uh, so I have dead rise, and I will have more dead rise later. I uh, I was very disappointed in my grocery store this week because they didn't have dead rise. Not that I would be drinking that on the show tonight, anyway, because the soccer gods hate me. <laughs> And DC United keeps winning when I drink rum. They, and they just demand some sacrifice. And that sacrifice is me drinking a spirit I do not enjoy. Um, and so I am. Listeners who care that, uh, about that. Uh, some of you were very nice this week and gave me some recipes. Marcel and Christine on Twitter in particular uh, gave me some good recipes. And, of course, most of them involve citrus, which is great because citrus goes well with 
you know, light colored spirits, but we used all our citrus this weekend. So I had to improvise. And so I used some mint simple syrup that I had in the fridge, um, and, and some lime flavored carbonated water and, Mix those together with some of the Jamaican. Wait, rum wait, I had wait, last wait. Week. Weren't, weren't people making fun of me for pineapple flavored carbonated water a week or two ago? Uh, I, I don't recall that. I, I do. We may have been, but I do. I, I, desperate times. I did not go to this willingly. I went to this in a, a feeble attempt to try to make rum palatable without good ingredients around me. And I was not entirely successful, but uh, I am struggling through this evil concoction I have made up for you, our listeners, and DC United, that team that we love. So um, here's hoping we we get a win at a very difficult place to play on Friday. Ben, what are you drinking? I'm going back to Virginia beer, as you all know, that I love and cherish. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've had this on the podcast before, but I don't care. Uh, It's Parkway Brewery from Salem, Virginia. It's their Bridge Builder Blonde. It's just a nice summery blonde ale uh it's quite quenching excellent and ben i think you got a reputation for drinking manhattans almost every week when we started recording the show years ago i've got one as my second beer a second drink actually (laughs) so i don't think you should apologize for having a drink on the show more than once especially considering the number of times you've had manhattans that's true i think a manhattan is in our fan art that we have received because i drank them so much yes and continue to drink them so much yes if yeah if there is a drink that embodies ben bromley it's the manhattan I'm sure it's there's true. a metaphor. There are metaphors people can draw, and our listeners are encouraged to email us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com with those analogies. Let's get to the soccer. DC United, it wasn't the biggest scoreline of the year, but to my mind, it was their best performance of 2016 on Saturday night, beating the New England Revolution two to nothing. Goals from Lamar Nagel and Sean Franklin. And it was a lot of fun, Ben. It was a lot of fun. That was a. It, it, they set the tone early, and it just was a fun win. It, it was good, to, and it, it was fun in a lot of ways. It was good to see uh, Lamar Nagel do well because he is a very Ben Olsen type of player, and to see him do well, to see him do well creatively is really great. It was great to see Lucho Acosta uh, active and involved and in a better position than <clears throat> I think the withdrawn forward role is for him. Uh, I kind of liked seeing Fabian Espindola out on the wing. I thought that was kind of fun, seeing him be able to uh, drive at people, take people on uh, from that wing position, and not like when if he lost the ball, he's not in the middle of the field and pulled out of position to allow bad things to happen. Uh, uh, Alvaro Sabarillo had a really good game. It was just mm-hmm. it was fun overall. It was. It was It was a lot of fun. And that formation shift, I think, helped create a lot of it. Rather than playing a 4-4-2 with just two central midfielders, they went to, I, I've seen it called a 4-1-4-1. I've seen it called a 4-3-3. It kind of went in between them, depending on the phase of the game and, and the game state. Um, but whatever it was, it, it worked really well in this game. Um, I, I went to a season ticket member event uh, tonight, Monday night as we record, Um and it was a strategy and analysis event for uh, the nerds of us among the season ticket members. And one of the things they said in in this game 
their one of their number one goals was getting Lucho Acosta freed up to complete as many passes as possible. They wanted to just put him in position to to ping the ball around, and they knew if they did that, it would be successful, and they were proved right. Uh, Jason, what did you like, or what did you think of uh, having a midfield trio, having Lucho drop deeper, having Sarvas underneath him and uh, Nick DeLeon in the center? Uh, I think it worked out really well. Um, I do... I would express a little caution in that the revs were not prepared for that. And then on top of that made zero attempts to adjust for it throughout the game, even when it was obvious that they desperately needed to change things like very early. Um, this was one of those games where they needed to do something uh, tactical within the first 15 minutes. And they just sort of drifted along and um, uh, lost as a result. Um so next week, RSL will have a game. Uh, they'll have 90 minutes of tape of United playing that formation. Um, they're not going to make uh, Marcelo's life so easy uh, in, in between the lines. Um, the Revs did nothing to really pressure him, and he dominated the game. I think he actually was the best player on the field, um, even with Nagel getting a goal and an assist, even with Jalen Robinson playing so well. Um, so that's, that's a, you know, United's going to have to, to prepare for that and see if this can continue to work because I think the signs were promising, uh, with this formation, it gets more out of Acosta. Um, I think Delion is with, with one more person to connect to a little more often, he is more likely to start playing for, uh, forward a little more, um, in, in terms of passing. Um, I think there was a lot to like about it, but there are still question marks. Um, when Espindola plays out on the left, I mean, the, the whole reason we've objected to that in the past has been that if he's out on the left, he's already there. And part of his game is floating out to the left and confusing people by all of a sudden he's there on the left. And it's like, what are you doing here? When he's going to start as the left winger, that element of his game is, is off the table. So he has to find a different way to be confusing, to, to be a difficult opponent to play against. Um, Against Andrew Farrell, he did it mostly with his dribbling, and that's good, but I don't know that Farrell had a very good game, and I feel like Espindle is going to come up against a right back in better form than him, and he's if this formation is going to persist, he's going to have to find a way to be as effective, because he wasn't among the best players in the game for United. He wasn't top three or top four, but he did have a pretty decent game when the, the ball came out to him. I think... Um, United did a good job of sort of it – was, it, it was interesting because the Revs were swinging the ball to the right a little earlier than they would like to. Um, rather than it being the end of the move, it was it was earlier, um, which meant that the ball was kind of congested on one side and then would switch over um, to Espindola's side, but it's behind him because he's not, it, it, he's not getting involved in that defensive phase as much. Um, so when they're swinging the ball over, he's not really – having to do that work uh, because that part of the game, like if he just dropped in, he's at that point screwing up the whole structure. So mm -hmm. um, we're going to see teams try and test him in the middle third. Um, they're not going to make that mistake. Um, and that's another thing United's got to prepare for. Um, but overall, I think the signs are pretty promising with, with this alignment, especially considering, um, you know, yes, Robinson played an excellent game, um, but whenever you start a new formation with a guy that has never started, uh, an MLS match before, um, 
you know, it's, it's pretty nerve wracking. And for them to come through it, um, that's a pretty big deal. But the next test is what do you do when teams can see what your plan is and can game plan accordingly? Because most teams in the league are not just going to carry on as if it doesn't matter what you do and what formation you're playing. They're going to say, oh, they're doing this, so we have to do that. Um, so it was a good time to do it uh, because the Revs are very, very much in the camp of we're just going to do what we do and whatever happens, happens. Um, but RSL, I think, is going to have thought this one through a little more, and they'll certainly have more uh, to work with when they do those game planning sessions in this week, though they also have another game this week. So, you know, we'll see how much they can actually get done. Yeah, one you have to assume that Brito Martinez will be targeted uh, as a key man for them to go at Fabi and Taylor Kemp. Uh, if if we play this formation and if he plays uh, on on Friday night, uh, you, you mentioned Espindola and his buy-in was so evident on this. And that sometimes, you know, I know when he was pushed wide for New York, his buy-in uh, was a problem sometimes because he had to defer to Henri and, and defer to a system he didn't really believe in. But watching him out there on Saturday, it was pretty clear that he, he was it all in on what it was. When he got back, he got back with hustle and determination. When he got forward, he stayed wide. He didn't try to, to get too fancy. He didn't take any ridiculous shots. It was, it was all in all a, a good performance from, from him, which I was, I was very pleased with. Uh, Jason, you mentioned Jalen Robinson, his first MLS start and what a start it was team of the week. And not just, uh, on the dubious basis of, being a first time starter and surviving without making a huge blunder. He deserved that those accolades, I I think. And uh he joined Lamar Nagel on the team of the week with Bill Hamid, I think, making the the honorable mention bench. Uh Sarvas wasn't on there, but he also had a great game. But but I want to talk about Jalen Robinson. Uh I know some people want to know whether he's the heir apparent, whether you know the burn bomb potential sale and we'll talk about that when we open the twitter box a little later uh whether he's someone who can step in there ben what did you i mean obviously it was a good performance but beyond that what did you think of of jalen's debut or full debut i mean yeah i, I thought it was great i thought that uh, as he said in post-game interviews the fact that he's been able to work together with kofi apari in u.s open cup in uh Concacaf champions league provided a little more uh rapport than you might think from a first time uh, MLS starter. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a, a sign of the future, but it's, it's encouraging. It's encouraging that those two can work together uh, that well. I, I didn't expect Jalen Robinson to be so good at just flinging his body around and getting in the way of shots. Uh, his foot block on Kai Kamara in the first half was just, a thing of beauty. And that's not the only time he was just in the way blocking shots. Uh, and I don't think any of us thought of him that way. So it's just really great to see. It's really a, uh, it's really a praiseworthy accolade for the, uh, Richmond Kickers uh, relationship that DC United ha has had to allow Robinson to get all of this experience uh, and to keep, to keep sharp along with the U S open cup and CONCACAF champions league, uh, starts. So yeah, it was, it was just good. It was really great to see. And hopefully if 
either Boswell or Birnbaum leave in this coming off season, he can step up and make at, at the very least the third center back center back spot his own. Yeah, one of the things that was most impressive to me because Jalen is kind of undersized for a center back. He's only like five nine, and that's a skinny five nine. He's not a bulky guy, um, but he he's got a fantastic vertical leap, and he and Opare held the Revs to zero of sixteen crosses. The Revs sent in sixteen crosses in this game, and not a single one found. Anybody in red with Kai head. Kamara, who is was, a headed with genius. Kai Kamara in the middle, and Teal Bunbury on one side uh, as well. So it was in, that if you had told me that number, I wouldn't have believed you before the game. Um, regardless of who the center backs were, even with Steve Birnbaum, who is one of the two most dominant aerial presences in MLS, at least on the defensive side, I, I would assume that he would Kamara would find a gap somewhere. Uh, and, and he just didn't even against Opari and, and Jalen Robinson. And I think Robinson had a couple of aerial duels with him and won both of them. It was a fantastic showing, uh, not getting pushed around by a guy who is very smart and very physical in Kai Kamara. Um, we talked about this formation. I, I know where I stand because I was calling for this, basically this formation, uh, for a while this season. Uh, so I certainly want to see it again at RSL and the next week and the next week. And I want to see the, the team use this as their default. Ben, do you want to see them stay with this or go back to the four, four, two? Uh, I definitely want to see it next week against RSL because I don't think they've got anything better, especially before, uh, Patrick Niarco comes back. Uh, and when Patrick Niarco does come back, I still don't think they have anything better because I still think they need a Saburio type at the point of the spear to knock down balls and do everything he did uh, in this game. And I don't think they have a better option, even if Saburio's not playing well, to fulfill that. I think Nagel has proven that he's much he's a bona fide starter on the wing and nobody's going to replace him uh, unless some, unless an injury happens. So... I think you need a Saburio type at the point. So maybe a Haji Kamara can do that instead of Saburio at some point. But other than that, I don't, it, it's difficult for me to see starting a Fabiana Spindola or a uh, Luciana Costa as a uh, second striker. I think that I think that less, lessens definitely Luciano Acosta, and I don't think it work. It, it plays to the advantages uh, of everyone else if you have a Fabiana Spindola there either. Uh, let's step into the the Twitter box for for this next part. Um, you mentioned Sabo Damian Cash on Twitter at Old Timer spelled with a Y uh, asks us at filibuster DCU. Does this arrangement against the Revs even work if bad Saborio shows up instead of the guy we saw? last weekend and and Sabo he missed a couple of chances uh including a big chance on a breakaway that Acosta gave him a brilliant through ball uh to run onto and he he botched it a little bit um but his hold up play was was very good he got the secondary assist on Franklin's goal Jason what do you think uh if if Sabo is playing kind of an uninterested lackadaisical kind of game um lackadaisical Okay. That that S is creeping in. It this is like um 
Uh, a lot of MLS people are also dropping the before they say the playoffs. They just say playoffs, and I can't. I have to draw my line in the sand. We, we have to stop these not, things. It's not lackadaisical because that's the way I've literally always no. heard. No, it, it is it's lackadaisical. lackadaisical. There, there is no S. Huh? Learn something new Until every day. Later, there's a later S. <laughs> so if if Sabarillo is is playing that kind of game rather than the engaged, uh, plugged in game we saw on Saturday. Can Kamara, Al-Haji Kamara, play that role, or can United over otherwise overcome Sabarillo being lackadaisical? They definitely need um, someone that can play back-to-goal. Um, earlier you mentioned that the formation was getting called different things. It, to my mind, this is definitely a 4-1-4-1. Um, you have Sabo up front by himself a good 20 yards away from the rest of the team. Um, and that space means he has to be able to hold the ball up. That first and second touch is key. That's what allows everyone else to get into the attack and give options. Um, Sabrio did a great job of that in this game, um, making sure that he was he wasn't even having to win physical battles. He was checking back early enough that he was able to get to the ball without having to defeat his his man in some sort of a 50-50 contest. Um, and that really helped United. Um, that really helped them stay unpredictable coming forward. Uh, it got Acosta onto the ball. It got De Leon onto the ball. Um, it, it it was involved in, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was involved in the first goal. Um, or no, the second goal. Uh, the second goal. Um, so that part of his game was really, really good, even if the finishing side was, was a letdown. Um, Kamara, I think, can can do that as well. We've seen him... He, he doesn't seem to have any issues with, with the physical side of the game, and I think um, he would be comfortable playing back to goal and just and just playing quickly is the, is the main thing. Um, having a good first touch to set up a pass after that. Um, that role, at, at, when you're that far by yourself and you're that isolated, you really can't... If you're not holding the ball and just holding a defender off and posting up, you really have to move it within two touches or you're going to lose out. Um, you're going to get crowded by a defender and a defensive midfielder and all of a sudden you're losing the ball and your team all of a sudden finds themselves under more pressure. The whole thing kind of falls apart if you take away that that uh that little that little piece of the puzzle. Um if Bad Sabo turns up, if he's not engaged in the game, I do worry about the formation's ability to succeed. But then the same that same problem comes up in any formation we play because Anything that Olsen is going to send out is going to involve a target forward. Um, the way he, he asks his 4-4-2 to play um, has involved a target man, even when we don't have a natural target man. Um, to go back to the season opener with uh, Nagel playing up front, I think Nagel ended up having seven um, have, having to win seven headers during the course of the game, mm-hmm. um, which is not his, his way of playing. It's not how he should be used. Um but that was the role he was asked to play for the night. Um, when Acosta and Espindola have had to pair up, Espindola's had to go win headers. Um, so I think this team is set up around it. The formations change, but the concepts, one of the concepts is going to be a striker who can hold the ball up for the rest of the team. And that means that someone has to play that role. And if Sabo doesn't play it well, the good news is now we have another option. Whereas before Kamara arrived, it was like, well, I don't know what else we're going to do. 
So that is a good option, and we'll see how quickly that that sub uh, gets made if we have a game where, you know, we're drifting towards halftime and Saborio is just not involved and not making himself a factor, then maybe we see a halftime sub because you can't, that's the kind of thing that's so important to the whole idea of the way the team wants to play that if you wait on that sub, you probably fall behind and then you're, you're kind of screwed at that point. So um, it is a good spot to have options, but it also increases some pressure on Saborio. We really need to see this level of performance. If he's not going to be scoring, he at least needs to be dominating the center backs in terms of holding the ball up so that Acosta's getting onto the ball and Nagel's getting onto the ball. And then, you know, if the goals come from somewhere else, so be it. I don't think people are going to be too upset if United doesn't have a 10-goal, 15-goal scoring striker as long as they are winning games. That's the main thing. Next question comes from Brendan Cartwright at Brendanica. 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 Some pronunciation of that. Some portmanteau of his name and Hanukkah. Uh, anyway, he said, he asks us at filibuster DCU, since Casper tends to do well with getting MLS talent, who are some current league players DC might be targeting? Let's do this one quickly because we have to get Matt on pretty soon. Uh, Jason, who do you think fits a hole in DC United's lineup within MLS, whether they're um, attainable or not? I'm bringing up, um, the roster uh, for the roster things that I have on my desktop. That's not this laptop that it, you're hearing my voice record through. Um, I would say Dylan powers, who is not getting much time in Colorado when everyone's there, but I don't know that United necessarily would have a need for him. Um, I think playing in the Nick Dalio number eight role, I think he would open things up, but at the cost of some, some amount of defensive work, uh, that De Leon brings. But on the other hand, if you're sitting around saying, boy, I wish DC United was super attacking and super fun to watch, then you'd probably want to see power. It doesn't really, the, the whole thing with powers doesn't make any sense. They told him he was going to come back and not have to play as a number 10. And then they promptly used him as a number 10. And then when Jermaine Jones was available, they pushed him to the bench. So um, maybe just for his own sake, uh, powers would be good. And I'm trying to think, maybe throw hey, a Ben and I can... Okay, I heard today more. that uh, Mixed Iskarud is available from NYC. Ben, do you want to see that happen? Sorry, what? You faded out. I just want to hear how many. Oh, I just want to hear how many ways you can say no, 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 God, no. Mixed Iskarud oh, no. is available oh, no, apparently. No, no, no. Actually, we'll, we'll we no, should address we that. Um, it's. It's it's a bad make, idea. I was going to make a joke too, and it was it was yes, a better joke is. than that. And we don't have Chad a lot of Barrett. time on this segment, so let's Chad not address Barrett. it. You want Chad? Chad is he available? No, he's out there. He doesn't start for the Quakes. Um, yeah, he wouldn't start for us either. No, he wouldn't really start for anyone yeah. if we're being honest. But there there is a usefulness to Chad Barrett. I know he is the butt of jokes around the league, but. He works in- incredibly hard and he's brave and he does end up scoring like six, seven goals as a non-starter. A couple game winners year. a year, too. Yeah. So it's the guy might not be aesthetically pleasing to watch, but he gets things done to a certain extent. All right. Uh, I'm going to ignore our colleague Steve Streff's question about whether what it'll take for DC United to play with more grit, because the answer is obviously more blood transfusions from Davy Arno, because that's really been working well with Marcelo Sarvas. Um, 
and and I'm going to go to a uh, frequent question asker, Twitter box staple in Shane, uh, who is at Ankimion on Twitter, who wants to know if Birnbaum is going to Israel. I hope. And I don't know that it's as certain as the reports out there are saying. Yeah. So um, one reporter in in Israel has said this is all but a done deal. Uh, he actually said it, it's it is certain. Uh, yeah, it is. Certain he, he said it'll be one of the, the Maccabis, either yeah. Maccabi Haifa or Maccabi Tel Aviv. One of them will get it because they're both very, very interested in pushing very hard. The numbers that we have heard uh, that they're offering and the numbers we have heard that DC United are demanding are not close to each other. Right there. There's but, it's not an order of magnitude difference, but it's zeros. several times there, there are there's an X with a number in front of it to a whole number in front of it. There, right. there are several times uh, the offer apart. So it would take a big offer to get him, it's, and it's rightfully so, because don't go a there, Steve team center back. Well, and and that's the other thing is that let's say Burnbaum, let's say DC reaches a deal that is financially reasonable for DC United. They the have to come to terms with Burnbaum, right? And and I think he's aware enough that he knows that. This is probably not a step up in league quality. I mean, I know that if he goes to an Israeli team that gets to play in the Europa League or the Champions League, um, which some of their top clubs actually get, they don't go f- far into it, but they do get some of, they, they get a few games there. Um, Every couple of years, they'll get into the group stage, yeah. Right, and that means a lot. That's a, a good showcase for a player to make his next step. See also Perry Kitchen. Um but if you're going to take that, you've got to be asking for a lot of money because there, we're talking about an Israeli league. The, the last player to leave MLS for Israel was a Columbus crew bench warmer by the name of Aaron Schoenfeld. And now he is scoring left and right in Israel. Um, and it wasn't like he didn't get chances to sub into games for the crew while he was here. He just wasn't that good for MLS. And there, there's a, um, um, And obviously there's usage. There's a uh, ahead, Richmond Kickers player who went to, uh, I think he went to Israel and was got uh, stuck on mm. with a lower level Israel team, but he he was a USL player and not a Richmond Kickers real starter either. Yeah, I mean, Schoenfeld didn't look like that big of a deal, and yeah, I mean, he's probably being used differently um, in Israel. He's probably ha- has a different role that benefits him more. But still, um, broadly speaking, that's not a good sign for the league's quality um, as compared to MLS, which means that if Birnbaum, if they agree to a fee, they've got to also make it worth his while, which is probably going to be pretty expensive. Um, Whereas if a team like Feyenoord, for example, they were linked with him before uh, in the Dutch league, if they come in, they're probably going to be able to get away with a significantly lower salary offer, not like, you know, lower than his MLS salary or anything like that. But we're not talking about like tripling his wages um, to get him to go there. So, I mean, these teams are I think it's pretty clear that there's smoke, there's fire. Um, They're probably very interested. But can they complete the deal? I I don't know. I don't know that it's it's a guarantee. All right. One last question in the Twitter box, also from uh, Shane, who asks how many points for the four game road trip are needed to be deemed a success. So how many points these next four games are all on the road for DC United at RSL this Friday at 
first place Philadelphia next Saturday at the Columbus Crew on the 16th and at the newly enlarged or at least newly covered BMO Field in Toronto on the 23rd before they come back home on on the 31st of July. So four games. Ben, how many points is it going to take for you to call this a success? Four points from four games. Jason? Uh, I think five. I think they've got to win one in there. Um, it might be this this coming game might be the easiest of them, though the way Columbus is playing, uh, it's also a candidate. But one of those two has to be a win. And I think we should be expecting um, a couple draws in there. What I want is at least one win and no more than one loss. So I'm going to go five. Yeah, I, I think five is what it would take for me to call it truly successful. Four would be passable. I want to see six or seven in a perfect world. Um, but we have to be realistic about DC on the road. We do have to be realistic about DC on the road, which has not been a good situation for them this year. But who knows with this, this new formation and the way they looked on Saturday, I am pumped. I'm excited. I will say they haven't lost often on the road. Right. Um, the games have just been, and when they do, it comes very, very late. (laughs) Right. The games have been boring and unattractive to watch, but they've gotten a lot of draws on the road. Um, at New England, at San Jose, at Chicago at and a downpour at Houston. Um, they won at Kansas City. So um, they've only got a couple road losses. So draws, you know, getting a win in there and a couple draws is not unrealistic as much as it might feel that way because it feels like they've been terrible on the road, but they really haven't been so bad. It just hasn't been, you know, enthralling to watch. And on that Super duper optimistic thought. We will be right back with Matt Montgomery from RSLSoapbox.com. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will go to play RSL out in Utah this Friday night, 10.30 p.m., a little hashtag DCU after dark for us. Uh, RSL, of course, would be in first place on points if they played in the incredibly bad Eastern Conference, but they don't, so they're in the middle of the pack out west. To help us preview 
this game, we have our friend Matt Montgomery on from RSLSoapbox.com, our sister site on SB Nation. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, let's jump right into it. You guys are unbeaten at home this year, but but not that great on the road. What's what's different at Rio Tinto Stadium right now? Uh, I'm there are a few factors. One, we brought in Yeramovsisian, and he's a pretty good striker, uh, and he can score goals. Um, but on the whole, the team is better balanced and and seems to have a renewed belief at home. Now, I don't know if that belief holds up through the season. Uh, we've still only played what five games at home, so there's still there's still a question mark there. I think. So, I think Real Salt Lake confused a lot of people. Who were watching uh, this weekend when they they rolled out what looked more like the uh, Real Monarchs lineup than an actual RSL first team? What uh, is that just about the Open Cup game this yeah. this week against Seattle, or or why did they make ten changes and run out what looked like a reserve side? Yeah, it's it's the Open Cup combined with just a glut of games. So we've had we had a game Tuesday, then Saturday, then Wednesday. Then Saturday, and now we've got Tuesday and Friday. So, so in an effort, I think, to to keep the strongest lineups at home, uh, they did this this big switch. Now I don't know if it'll actually like work out that way. It often doesn't, uh, but we'll see. Uh, it it's one of those things that you expect the team to do every now and again, and I, it feels like half the time it backfires. Uh, I'm hoping that's not the case this time. Uh, because I think a loss on Tuesday would not play well for us on Friday. Uh, man, I, I guess for, for our, our listeners that maybe don't see too much of RSL or, or the teams out of the Eastern Conference, um, I guess the, the main player I want to them to know more about is Burrito Martinez. Uh, tell us what it's like to have a player of just that entertainment value um, and also you know that he actually is good as well. Yeah, so so we've had a few players in our time that have been excellent dribblers, never to this to this caliber. Uh, he's both in it, like a really entertaining guy on the ball. Like he'll beat players one on one, two on one, three on one, usually without too much trouble. But there are occasionally games where where that dribbling just isn't there. Maybe it's a matchup thing. Maybe it's something else. Uh, but that's the particularly interesting part about Burrito Martinez is that his impact doesn't always correspond with like how tricky he gets. Like he might beat a player, you know, one on one, get free with the goalkeeper and and sky a shot, or you know, place it right at the goalkeeper. But he's still sitting with five goals this year, uh, and, and not of all of those goals have come from like really tricky circumstances. So I think what you have with Burrito Martinez is like a, a really skilled player whose skill is sometimes seen in like other ways. Uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned the goal totals because uh, I mean I keep my own goal records because I'm I've got a problem. Um and one thing I notice is that RSL doesn't have anyone at the top of the chart, but if you go just a little bit down, you keep seeing Real Salt Lake players. Yuramov Sissian uh, is on 6, Martinez has 5, uh Joao Plata has 5. Um, Javier Morales, who has apparently, uh, found the fountain of youth in his spare time, um, is also having an, uh, another good season. Um, what is that by design or is that just how things have turned out? It, it, do you think Jeff Kassar wants his team to be more balanced or is it just 
he's happy because they've that's still a lot of goals for your front four to be scoring. So I think, yeah, he's happy it's balanced. Um, part of that is by design. Now, I think he'd be happier if Yuram Obsessian had finished a little better earlier in the season. I'd, I could see him sitting on 9 or 10 right now. But sitting with, with everyone around 5 or 6, I think that's really positive and, and it speaks well to, like, when some of those players get hot and others get cold that we're not, like, living just on them. And that was a problem we experienced last year was that Javier Morales was our only consistent goal scorer. Uh, other players got hot once or twice, uh, and that was about it. So it feels a lot more balanced this year, but it's also a lot more creative with that front three and front four. Uh, so you get players like Plata, who's sitting with six assists, and Martinez, who has a couple, and Moxisin, who I think has zero. So that's an awful example, but uh, and Morales has one or two. So uh, I, I think it's working as intended, uh, but I think there have been matches where finishing could and should have been better by each of those three players. Um, to go to the other end, um, United just had uh, a homegrown player make a very impressive first MLS start uh, in central defense. You guys are a little ahead of us on that front with Justin Glad, who has been uh, starting really for most of the season once he pushed Olave uh, to the side. Um, how impressed have you been and what do you think his ceiling is as a player? So, Justin Glad, as a 19-year-old, is uh, performing probably like 100% better than you'd expect most 19-year-old center backs to play, even when they're very, very good. Um, that's because he's he's looked like reliable and has made like only only a few like glaring mistakes. Which, considering Thomas and Olave this year and our entire center back situation last year, is is a huge step up. Uh, I still think we're looking for a center back to fill that role at, in either like a two or three year basis, probably uh, someone who's got a lot of experience who can like read those situations well and can like settle games down. That's something Justin Glad doesn't do yet. And I think he's definitely got the ability. He's great with the ball at his feet. Uh, he reads the game well, but he, he doesn't know how to calm it down quite yet. Uh, now, if we talk a little more about a ceiling, I think that that kind of transitions into it is uh, once he figures those things out, I think uh, he can be an MLS best 11 center back without too much trouble. Uh, I'd say give him three years until until you start like even asking that of him. So it's, it's kind of an interesting, tricky situation we're in right now because we've had three, four, five center backs like near signing. Uh, and just lost out on them in like the last day of of like a transfer. Not not to mention having Carlos Salcedo and then having him uh, through some fairly controversial circumstances end up gone. Yeah, and that doesn't help either. Like, and, and it makes me a little wary moving forward. Like, part of the issue was that he felt like he didn't have like the playing time he wanted or needed. Now. You can debate over that all you want. He was still 19, still had somebody like Matt Borchers in front of him, who's a very good center back even still. Uh, but you have to look out for the for like repeating that with Justin Glad. Mm. So Matt, Yuram uh, Mofsevsian is kind of a uh, MLS success story in a way. Uh, he was in he was at RSL in the 
mid to late 2000s and then went abroad and, and now is back on loan. Uh, how Obviously, he's doing fairly well so far. Uh, is he living up to expectations? And do you think RSL is going to be able to bring him uh, back to Salt Lake City full time at the end of his loan tenure? So I'll, I'll take that in reverse order because I think we, we're definitely capable of bringing him back. We do have an option to buy on his loan contract. Uh, and Deloitte Hansen, our owner, has shown like a real dedication to uh, to like making those big moves. Um, so I think you'll see a move announced maybe as early as as later, you know, once the transfer window opens, uh, or as late as the end of the season. I'm not sure of the specifics of the of the option to buy, uh, but I expect them to exercise that. Now, if you'd asked me in the first like two months of the season, I'd have probably said that that he was a disappointment from where he put himself. Uh, he talked pretty publicly. Uh, it was in a public forum, actually. Uh, at the beginning of the season, that now he needed one chance and he could score a goal. Um, since then, he's missed a few pretty high, like, high-probability chances. Um, and that was especially apparent in those first couple months. Uh Take it, to, you know, through May and June. Uh, I think he's he's actually shown very well. He started scoring goals regularly, and his impact on the team has been more palpable. So I, I think there will be no hesitation to bring him back, and I think it would be a positive move given what we've seen now. Now there's still another, you know, seems like six eight months of the season. Obviously, it's not quite that long, but uh, we've got a little bit yet. We're only halfway through, so. How, how much do you think he's going to cost to bring him bring him on full time? That's uh, that's a great question. Um, I I wish I had an idea. Uh, I mean, it's, it's got to be a million plus, right? Um, okay. But he showed like a desire to get out of Spartak and uh, Spartak Moscow, where he was before in the Russian Premier League. Uh, I, I'd I'd want to get out of Russia too. Yeah, I think that's not an uncommon feeling. Um, <laughs> I mean, especially with players like sometimes not getting paid, and that hasn't been yeah. an issue in MLS. Yeah, uh, and then my other question is about a a, a long-standing stalwart for RSL who's away with the the national team right now. Uh, Kyle Beckerman has been an Iron Man for RSL and in MLS for for years. It almost seems like decades. Uh, how much do you think he has left in the tank? Do you think that? This year is his last year at a high level. Do you think he still has a couple more years at I, a high level? I wouldn't be surprised if he, he's on, I think, the second year of a new three-year deal as of last year. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a couple more beyond that. Um, he takes care of his body well. Uh, and while he has slowed down, he, he still shows like good burst uh, and can, can hold his own in an MLS game without, like, I think, any trouble. Uh, even if there's plenty of debate around the the national team, I think this is probably the last you see of like on a, a high profile national team. Record. But knowing Eric and Klinsman, uh, anybody's guess really. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Beckerman plays like 38, 39. Uh, I, I think he could be one of those players. And I think to to like reference Klinsman again, I think that's partially his influence uh, just in bringing in. Uh, I guess more more of the nutrition, more of the fitness things and, and making that a greater, greater focus for, for Beckerman. So who else do you expect to be on the field for RSL on Friday, given the, the open cup game on Tuesday and the, the rotation you saw 
last weekend in Dallas? Uh, with the rotation, I think you'll see a, a full strength lineup on Friday, unless it goes 120 minutes and penalties, and then I might be a little more wary. But we did do a Tuesday Saturday uh, without you know, with going to extra time and without like, making any significant lineup changes. Uh, so I think. I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit and say we'll probably see a few changes. We might see Chris Winger come into the game for DeMar Phillips. Uh, you might see him change in the midfield. But other than that, I think you'll see pretty much the same first choice. All right. And if you were going against that first choice lineup, say as the coach of a team that wears black and red and uh, sometimes calls itself by that, those colors and plays in the nation's capital, just hypothetically... How would you game plan for Real Salt Lake? Uh, the big thing is you have to keep the high press going. You have to avoid silly mistakes. That's That's been our biggest like winning point this year, actually, I think, is that we've capitalized well on others' mistakes. Um, but if you can if you can shut down the wings a little bit without, you know, without committing resources too heavily there, keep the high press going. Um, and generally keep us on the back foot, we'll, we'll tend to struggle. And that's what you saw last Saturday. Now, it's interesting because that was, that was a different 11 than you'll see on Friday. But at the same time, like the squad is susceptible uh, to the long ball, to to like the high press, uh, and they'll start to panic a little bit. So I think that's the thing to look for, and that's the thing I'll be looking for for Real Salt Lake to like, fix. All right, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Uh, Twitter.com, but also rslsoapbox.com, uh, sister site, as you said. So uh, you can read the awful, awful ramblings there. <laughs> All right, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we want those analogies to what Ben was talking about earlier in the show. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, when you're at the bar on Friday night, tell a friend about us. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. So for Jason and Ben and thanking Matt one more time, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.